And even when the whole Roxanne phenomenon started, I had like 80, I want to say between 84 and 87 records made specifically about Roxanne Chante. And they made these records about me because they knew I would respond. And it was a way for them to get into the industry. And I didn't mind it. People be like, yo, you heard what they said about you on the record? And I was like, all right. You know, I remember doing a show with Karis one We have a phenomenal relationship now. And he was going out on stage. He was performing a record. And when it came to my part, he changed the words. And I walked right out there on stage and told him, yo, you cannot unwrite history. You sing that motherfucker like you made that motherfucker. This is Nas. You're now listening to The Bridge, 50 Years of Hip Hop. Hey, this is your co-host, Minya O, a.k.a. Miss Info. I loved Roxanne Shantae's music from day one, but it was after seeing the Netflix movie about her life that I fully came to appreciate her career and her survivor's strength. This conversation definitely hit different for us. We heard about how one of rap's greatest classics actually got made in exchange for some Sergio Valente jeans and her incredible friendship with the late, great Biz Marquis. But what really struck me was hearing the ways that Nas and Shantae's lives cross paths in Queensbridge. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. When you stop and think what some of these hip hop artists have achieved and how old they were when they did it, it's mind blowing. Someone like Roxanne Shantae set the hip-hop world on fire when she was only 14 years old. It's truly remarkable for a girl that age to have such command, confidence, and skill. What made it even more special was that she was from my projects. So to me, Shantae was truly inspirational. I want to definitely talk about the first rap concert I think I was at, which was in River Park, Queensbridge. Of course, Shantae was there. It was you or MC Shan that brought Biz Markie out on stage. I think it was you. Actually, it was Shan. Shan okay. had brought Biz out with him on stage yeah. and introduced him to the projects. Like Mainly, that was like where you wanted to go. If you had something you wanted to try, like that was one of the benefits of being from Queensbridge because you know who else has an audience of 30,000 people? that you know, you wow. know, to be able to put your hands on and have that type of connection with. So anything you want to know that we're going to tell you whether it was good, whether it wasn't, how they liked it, you know, you would go by the reaction of whatever Queensbridge said. If you knew it was good at home, then it was good everywhere because they would go with you everywhere to make sure it was good. But you performed that day. Yes, I did. I remember that. I performed with him. Such an inspiration 
that was for all of us. Let me tell you what it was like, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take the picture because I wasn't there. I, I need to know. Yo, look. So like she said, this is a big project. So everybody's outside. And we never heard of Bismarcky. At least I ain't heard of him. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of people that could do the beatbox or try to do the beatbox. But if you're on stage with them, you got to be somebody. When this dude did that meow, meow, that cat commercial that used mm-hmm. to come on, we're watching people who we knew, but they were still stars to us. And it was like, how do we get this lucky that we are here for free? I mean, in it's like our stepping neighborhood. stepping out of your house and in your backyard. In our is neighborhood. The is the most incredible show. Not even a jam is more than a jam. There's a stage. <laughs> and Roxanne Shantae is coming. You know, what's really incredible is when you talk about how much you put Shantae on a pedestal. She was an idol to you. You're just seeing her as an idol, a role model, yeah. right? You know, like a woman can't be your role model. Right. I think if everybody thought that at the time, she just broke that glass and said, nah, it's mm-hmm. a new day. You showed us how it could go from the street to wax. Without all the extras, just street to wax. And then I saw like at the Reese, at the center on the hill. I'm on mm-hmm. 40 side of Vernon. The hill's right there. This community center is the place to be during the day but at nighttime sometimes it's like a concert hall and I remember them saying that you was going to battle somebody I'm like how would you have this record career you just bossed up on UTFO four dudes (laughs) from like Brooklyn or something bossed up on them and I remember one of the lines you had said something about him not being a real God. Like, you yes. think you a God and you do eat lard. And I remember the older gods in the projects having a little cipher about how they wanted to deal with this <laughs> little girl who was speaking like this. They wanted to see you and talk to you about it. I remember walking around nervous for you, like, yo, the <laughs> well, gods coming, are mad. For, yeah. The gods are talking about this. I mean, it hit everybody. It wasn't just saying, yo, a girl can't do this, a girl can't. It was like, no, a girl has taken over Mm. the rap game. And now it's like, here comes the rest of them. Here comes the Juice Crew. Now Molly Maul really has something to stand on. This record right here was like, hello, we just introduced ourselves to the rap world on another level. So that was bigger than just gender. Yeah, It was beautiful, but it was just great for hip-hop too. One of the hidden truths of probably the projects and of a lot of communities, especially ones under duress, is that they are matriarchies. It's just not acknowledged, right? So every household that you were living in and looking at and visiting was run by women. All day long. I mean, come on, that's the real. But, you know, with Shantae, what she was saying, what she was saying, I don't remember women rappers talking like that, I don't think they knew how to handle it because I don't think it happened before in rap. So we're watching a change happen. Mm. This was a freedom fighter for women's rights (laughs) right here. And she's 14 years old and she's from the hood. And I'm like, yo, everything is changing right now. So yeah, that was a big, big thing. But I just got a random question. The 40 Busters, how excited was they to hear the shout out on the song live on stage? The video was fire. Front row seats is what the 40 bus gets. I was like, did she just say the now 40 buses was a notorious yeah, the gang from the block situation? Yes. 
in the hood back in the 80s, you know what I mean? So they was in the papers and everything, you know, shout out to all of them that changed their life and all of that now. Shout out to my man, Big Timmy. Absolutely. Timmy Lord. Did they ever get to go to your show? Yes, they did. They definitely showed up. And I think the reason why I said that is because we've always traveled. Like, if you're from Queensbridge, you've always traveled with Queensbridge. There's always somebody from Queensbridge in the house. So for me, I've always left those extra bands those extra seat tickets, yeah. that extra names on the list, yeah. just okay. in case they show up. Right. So that's why they always knew that whenever they came to a Roxanne Chante show, that front row seats is what 40 bust get. Wow. Got it, got it. So I bought the records. I watched you on Video Music Box and the video for Roxanne's Revenge, and I saw you with the coat and the microphone and the presence. The presence is key. Like, if you're going to be an MC, you know, especially back then when you're learning what it takes, how was you that young with that type of presence, 14. that voice, 14 years a old. unique voice, 14? Who was your inspiration? I think when it comes to my presence or even the the whole Roxanne Shante attitude, a lot of that came from just being from Queensbridge and the hustle factor. It's a natural hustle that's in you. Sometimes I used to joke and say that, you know, it was in the water. Like, if you drunk water in the bathroom in Queensbridge and oh, you drunk yeah. it out of your hand and you stood on the tub. That, that was the was, best water in New York. It is. It was like something magical about that. Like, if your mom <laughs> said you came in and you was thirsty and she pointed to the bathroom and you was Project like... Project water. It yeah. was cold. <laughs> it, was it, was, it was Listen, it was so cold that the faucet used to get frosted. Yeah. Remember it used to get frosted? Like, yeah. yeah. So, like, we had some magic coming out of our faucet. <laughs> and, you know, the Roxanne Shantae story, I'm an open book. So, I don't hide anything. You know, I run with my past because that's what made me. So before that, I was a popular booster. You know, a booster is like a person who used to go to stores and literally steal clothing, but high priced clothing and take orders. That's what makes you a booster. A booster takes orders as opposed to a thief that just goes in the store and just steals. Right. You know, literally, I used to have a pad like, OK, so I'm going to Bloomingdale's. What you need? Yep. Four right. sweaters, three things. <laughs> you know, say like start a little business, literally. So I already had a certain amount of popularity. And because of that popularity, getting on stage was nothing for me. Also, when it came to getting on stage and performing, I was never bit by the bug. Now, let me explain this a little bit to y'all about being bit by the bug. You didn't love it more than it loved you? I didn't seek it. Like, the first night my record was on the radio, I couldn't even hear it. Now, most times when you talk to artists, the first thing they're going to say is, yo, the first time I heard my shit on the radio, like, I never got that feeling. The first time I heard mine on the radio... I couldn't turn the radio on. I had to pinch out the phone. I didn't want nobody calling the house because I had just returned back home to my mom's house. And I didn't want anything to disrupt that. And, you know, back in the days, you had only one phone. It's not like how everybody has their cell phone right by their head and vibrating and all that stuff. You had that one loud-ass phone by the kitchen. (laughs) And, you know, if it rang after midnight, somebody had to have died. You know what I'm saying? That's the only way you're not going to get in trouble. Like, like it has to be death on the other end of that phone. And I remember I ran and hurried up and picked up the phone. And they was like, yo, you on the radio? You on the radio? And I remember sliding down that wall and sitting on the floor and saying, damn, I wonder what I sound like on the radio. And I was like, "Wow, what type of life is this? And this is what I'm thinking at 14. Like, wow. So when I came outside, everybody was excited, but I wasn't because one, I didn't record it. You know, most people was up like trying to record it. It was like one o'clock in the morning. Thanks to Mr. Magic and Molly Maul. 
They was like, yo, that's you on the radio. I was like, listen, I'm on my way to Bloomingdale. Y'all don't want anything. I got to go. You know, so I never got bit by the bug. And because of that, I think that affected me my whole entire career. Even today, people say that I'm still very nonchalant about such great things. Like when I did the movie, I never ran around like, yo, I'm doing a movie. I'm doing a movie. movie." I was like, listen, we're going to film a movie in Queensbridge. I went and got regular little pieces of paper. Wrote on the paper, like, yo, listen, bring your kids if you want to put them in a movie. So people didn't expect it to be a movie movie. But they was like, how is she blocking all of the parking in the projects? That's like 200000 a day. Like, how is she <laughs> doing that? Real stuff. Yeah. You know, like, this is like a real movie. But one thing about the movie, you pointed out, it's a small story about a very specific time frame. It wasn't really a movie about fame. Right. It was a movie about survival. Yes. And it was very relatable for many women. It kind of showed that as much as she had power, she still had the same abuse on the other side. Yes. And on the rap side, it's tough when you're coming up as a star in your hood because you get love, but then there's some jealousy, there's some hate too. I remember the guy in your your movie, the older guy. Mm -hmm. I remember one day on the hill, it was at night, he got into an argument with somebody and he got out the car and he had this long trench on and he stood his ground. Mm-hmm. He said what he had to say. They had their words with each other. And when I saw him in the movie, I think he wore a trench coat in the movie yes, too. He did. So I was like, yo, I remember this guy. And I said, there's no joke growing up in New York City. Just, mm-hmm. I'm watching this, man. I'm like, this is real. This is crazy. Absolutely. I think what it is too is that When I came into the hip-hop scene, I was already a well-known battle rapper. That's how the record even came about. When I was going to do laundry one day and Molly Maul just happened to see me out his window and he was like, yo, listen, I got this beat. Can you come upstairs and just lay something down? So for me, I nicknamed it the Nipsey Russell Syndrome, being able to rhyme about anything at any time. By that time, I had already perfected it. And once you perfect it, it's already in you. So you will be able to do it for the rest of your life. And I said, all right, fine. I only got a few minutes. Let me come upstairs and do it. So I went upstairs. (laughs) I laid it down in about, I want to say, seven minutes, then went right back downstairs and finished doing my laundry. Never thought about no record, no nothing. All I wanted him to do was, you know, keep his word about giving me those Sergio Valente jeans. Okay. (laughs) Because he worked at the Sergio Valente jean factory, which wasn't too far from our house. Oh, he was the plug. Yeah. Oh, was he? You know, his girlfriend's name was Diane. She had all the Western Sergios and all that. And I was like, man, this way I ain't even got to go to the store and go and pick them up. Let me just go ahead and do this little five minute thing. This is nothing because I was going around the city and battling. I caught on to a battle with you and the great Busy B. Yes. Shout out to Busy B. He was one of my favorites of all times. And I heard this battle years ago. I only heard about it when I was a kid. You dragged him and the judges were not fair to you. And it's because you was a woman, because you was a little girl at the time. But to think that fast, you was the flyest female ever. I mean, in rap. You could go back and look at all the album covers and the pictures. Everybody knows this. <laughs> you said, put on my felines and my feline suit. I stepped out and that. You just knew I was cute. I mean, bumped into <laughs> Busy out on felines too. I said, yo, Biz Markie, what recipes, Biz Markie? Absolutely. Those lines, check New York, like check, clothes check, felines, yeah. felines suit. That was crazy. So you was getting us right since back in the days. But back to Busy B, man. 
You dragged him. You won that battle against the king of rap, basically, at the time. You had Curtis Blow was a king and yes. other kings, but he was a king of rap. How did that feel that night? Did you know they were going to try to jerk you? No. I went to the New Music Seminar, and at that time, they had this thing called World Supremacy for Hip Hop. So if you won that, you were the greatest in the entire world, hands down. Right. Everybody knew it. There was like a belt, too, it right? Was, yeah, it was a belt a that came belt. with yeah. it and yeah. everything. Like, this was like WrestleMania to the 10th <laughs> pound. This was it. I remember when I went, because I had already been going around the city and winning all of these different battles, when I got there, I'm looking up on the board and usually they would have like this person versus this MC, that MC versus that MC. But when we looked at the board that day, there were, I think it was like maybe 10 or 11 MCs on this side. And it was just my name written 11 times. Mm, 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 mm. So they were counting that at least one of them was going to be able to get rid of me before the last round. Wow. And I sat there and I rhymed all day long. And all I had was a bottle of Welch's grape juice and a thing of premium unsalted crackers. So I'm sitting there eating crackers, drinking grape juice, rhyming. Eating crackers, drinking grape juice, rhyming. Finally, they was like, okay, you down to the last two. I was like, yeah, I got this. And now in my mind, I'm spending the money. I'm getting another sheepskin. I'm going to do this. Wow. Do because see, every time I went to a battle, I already mind spent the money. Literally, I walked in there as a winner. Like, okay, look. So I'm going to go get this. I got to get my mom this much money off of this. And then I got to do this. And okay, cool. And I fold my little note up, put it in my pocket, and then go and rhyme. And then collect my money and leave. Like clock in, clock out. Exactly. That's exactly how I was doing it. And so when we got to the last part, Busy B was like, yo, listen, don't curse. We're not going to do this. And we're not going to do that. I said, all right, fine. So I agreed with him. Like, okay, I won't do that to you. I'm still going to win, but I won't do that to you. Mm. He got on the mic. He said something I didn't like. And then that's when I started talking about, but back there you said we wasn't going to do that. Blah, 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 blah. And I put all of that into my rhyme. So they was like, yeah, she won. That's it. Curtis Blow, who happened to be one of the judges, who I love and respect and love today still. I love him. He said, how much does she need to lose? And I remember Red Alert, who at that time we were arch enemies. Red Alert said, she can't lose. She been getting nines and tens all day. Ain't no way. He said, but what does it take for her to lose? He said, man, she had to get like a four. He mm. was like, mm. so when they went and they counted up the votes, they went to Curtis Blow. Curtis Blow looked at me, turned his card around. No. And it was a four. Conspiracy. The place went crazy. Wow. So I stopped loving hip hop because remember, wow. I'm already coming from a situation and circumstance where you only get to do me dirty once and then I move on. So I stopped loving hip hop that day. Yeah. Because I was like, y'all telling me that this is about whoever's the best and I'm the best. It disappointed you. It disappointed me. Men, again. <laughs> okay. Who could do that today? Battle the king, basically off the top of your head and been battling all day. All day. With premium crackers and grape juice. Like I was in yo, there taking communion. In between, it's all dry ass crackers yo. and grape juice. Yo. <laughs> Years later after that, I seen Curtis Blow and I was with my husband and my husband, he was like, 
yo, let's just ask this motherfucker right now. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Why he did that? Because, you know, it's always been <laughs> yeah. bothering me. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm like, babe, come on, leave us alone. You know, he's a reverend now. Let's just leave it alone. He was like, nah, well, then you know what? In the name of God, he needs to tell me <laughs> why this happened. You know, you know, he's not going to lie. So let's find out. And I was like, all right, babe, you want to ask him? Yeah, I do. I said, okay. So we go over. He's like, hey, shiny. I'm like, hey, how are you? What's going on? Da, da, da. I was like, so how's everything? My husband, cousin, yo, listen, what happened that day? <laughs> I was like, baby, he's a nod because y'all take it too long. I want to know what happened that day. And so he was like, at that time, hip hop was just starting to be recognized as a real genre of music. People were starting to really get deals now. They were really starting to take hip hop serious because before that, hip hop had an expiration date. Like, yo, it's not going to be around long. That's just going to be like fad. disco. Yep. It's yeah. going to go out. So he was like, people starting to get deals and there is no way in the world we could let the best in the world be a young black girl. It's wow. just no way. He said they'd have never respected us. Hip hop would have died that day. There was no way we could walk in there and hold our heads high. Grown men, they like hold our heads high and then move out the way and say she's the best in the entire world. And so I said to him, I said, you know, I understand. I have been self-sacrificing my entire life, whether it was for my siblings, my mom, people in my neighborhood, whatever. And I was like, well, if I had to take that sacrifice in order for hip hop to be what it is today, then so be it. I think it was a great price to pay. Mm. That's amazing, But you got man. your closure. Absolutely. Because, you know, you just, you want to know, and I'm okay with that. And so when people see me, you know, automatically... They're not okay with it. Yo, but I'm still mad about that. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I'm okay. And I was like, you don't know my life. There's so many things that I have been through. Like, even when we did the movie, we actually had to tone the movie down because I we just knew that. that the world was not ready for. Even today. They weren't ready for Roxanne Chante's life story. That's why my show is so popular because I talk about food stamps and starving and killing roaches and how to catch rats and sleeping with cotton in your ears because you was at somebody's house and they had roaches crawling everywhere. Even after I became Roxanne Shantae, Cutmaster Cool V came to see me and got shot. And everybody was mad at me because Cool V got- this happened? This was in New Jersey. When I lived in New Jersey, I had moved to Newark and everything. And Cool V came to see me. And, you know, it's like after I had left the record company and I was just, you know, hustling, doing everything. And V came to see me. And when he got shot in front of my building, I remember like the record company, everybody being upset with me. And my thing was, be upset with y'all motherfucking self that I live somewhere that Cool V could get shot. You know what I'm saying? Don't be mad wow. at me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Be mad at yourself. The fact that I was the only one making records, but everybody else had big houses and cars. Wow. But I didn't. And I had never got a royalty check. And my publishing was going to somebody else's house and they were just endorsing the checks and putting them in their account. So wow. I never got any of that. Cold chilling. Cold chilling. Just left me out there like cold children. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. You know, and it was just so many things that made me sit back and say, but you're still alive. Yeah. You're still good. And thriving. Yeah. And thriving, you know, and being able to sit back and look at, quote unquote, the fruits of my labor. Yeah. Makes me smile. Like I've never asked for a favor, never went to a record company, asked for a deal, never went to anyone and say, yo, listen, can I get this? Or can you help me with this? Or, I'm doing that or I'm doing this. What about this? Never. Still today, never, not once. Because I've always felt that I didn't want to give people who I may have admired, loved or respected the opportunity to not be 
in that position because I've known so much disappointment. Yeah. So I just rather do it on my own. Ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Getting your motherfucking cream is a must. Yeah, you want a relationship, but I want trips on world cruise ships and I I like diamonds and cars. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. One of the greatest hip-hop movies that ever came out, Roxanne, Roxanne. <laughs> I got to tell you, when I saw myself at the end, first I got calls. People at the film festival was like, you're not going to believe this. Did you see the movie? You're not going to believe it. You didn't know already? I didn't know. They were telling me, yo, you got to see. I said, I'm in it. Yo, <laughs> Absolutely. So when I saw that thing, man, my eyes was watering up. Oh. I was like, oh my God. Yo, first of all, the movie's incredible. It gives us a look into your life. You know, Thank you. I, you was like a grown up. As a kid, I remember you carried yourself like a G since you was a kid. To me, you was big sis before it even blew up all the way. So I appreciate, I'm honored to be in your film. Oh, thank yes. you. Thank you. Well, just to put a little context in it. So Nas, you were talking about real life back in the day, right? This moment, the yeah. concert. Yes. But then you're also referencing this movie, but the movie came out very recently. It was like, yeah. what? 20, 2018. 2018. Yeah. And that was the story of your life. Well, you know what? The movie only covered, I want to say, about three years of my life in total. But they were three of the most significant years of my life. And I have a connection with everyone, but my connection to Nas was a little different because there was a spark. There was something that I saw in him that I didn't see in anybody else. Mm -hmm. So I felt like as a big sister, it was very important for me to tell him how I felt. And, you know, when you grow up in the projects and you're a big sister and I already had younger siblings, you know, the main thing is the threat. So, you know, like in order to get them to do what you want them to do, you got to <laughs> threaten them, yeah. you know. And then one of the things I remember telling Nas was like, yo, listen, he was like, yeah, I'm going to rhyme. I'm going to rap. And I was like, all right. But let me just tell you something. If I share the stage with you and your shit ain't right, I'm going to fuck you up right there. <laughs> Facts. And, and the thing about it is that even when he went on to become Nas, you know, nasty Nas, and then just to become the great Nas, I never told the story. Mm. You know, that's my agreement with the universe. My agreement with the universe is that I don't tell the things that I do for people because right. when you do that, washes it out. Now, if they tell it, 
then that releases me and allows me to be able to tell it. But they must tell it first. So like if I bought you food, I would never say, okay, you know what? I had to buy her food. But yeah. if you said, you know what? Shantae has fed me. And someone says, did you ever feel? I said, yeah, of course. Yeah, I did that. You know, but that's just my OG rules and laws. It's like, you just can't do it. So when he put it in his documentary, someone, they had stopped me. I had went to the, was the Tribeca Film Festival. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there and I'm watching it. And I'm like, he told that? <laughs> you know, and I'm watching it and, and I'm crying because, Aww. you know, it makes you think about how many you couldn't save, but the ones that you were able to, the ones that you were able to do that and not even knowing that it held that significance. Being able to do something for someone and touch somebody in a really significant moment that you don't know is significant at the time is actually not a gift that you're doing for them. It's a gift to yourself, right? Like, it's such an honor. Yes. So the fact that you're able to get that gift back when he told the story, was it something like, oh, my God, he he remembered that? You know, for me, he's my little brother. So I follow him like how I follow all my little brothers and sisters. So I'm watching his success and I'm just smiling and not knowing that day was such a significant day. So for him to say that that day was one of those days that turned it that way for him. And like, I'm getting choked up about it now because... Him mentioning that, you know, actually made the whole thing with my movie and everything else come into play because you wouldn't think that anybody would think about Roxy and Shantae regards to how many things I've done for how many people because I'm not a person who does that. I'm not a person who goes around and says it. So he mentioned that and then all of a sudden the world wanted to know, well, where is Roxy and Shantae? You know, what is she doing? So just like I gave him that gift, in turn, he gave me that gift, which led to the movie, which led to me now having have a nice day, which led to me now being able to wake up in the morning and literally smile. Like, I smile so fucking much now, I had to go get teeth. Okay? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. When I saw the salt and pepper biopic, I don't know if you saw this I didn't see it, I didn't see it. In the beginning of the movie, Herbie Azar, the producer behind them and Kid and Play, all of that, he said to them, out in Queensbridge, Shantae and Molly, mm-hmm. they did it. We can do it because they're doing it. So you gave hope to Herbie Azar, the whole movement with Salt and Pepper, Kid and Play, and all the rest of them. That to me, like, I'm like, oh, wow. I never knew that they would acknowledge the neighborhood I could imagine we would know it like, yo, Shantae, mm-hmm. you know, Shani, she she started all of this. But to see them say that made me proud. Absolutely. Me too. I think what it was is the fact that my demo went straight to the radio. So my cassette tape went straight to the radio. And when we would get in front of places and do interviews, they used to say, don't tell them like it was a tape. And the first thing out of my mouth was, it was a cassette tape. <laughs> I said that because someone at home is trying to struggle to get studio money, trying to struggle to get this and trying to think that they got to have all of this fancy studios and producers and boards and all this other stuff. And I'm letting them know, like, yo, listen, what you see in front of you comes from a fucking cassette tape. So you can do that too. So the next thing you know, that's when record companies start getting all these cassette tapes instead of getting all of these well-polished demos. So then it started costing the record companies money because if they liked what they heard on the cassette tape, now they got to spend some money and bring that person into a studio Mm. and give them a demo to see how they really sound in the studio. 
So when a lot of people would come up to me and they would say to me, like, listen, you know, and this is male and female, old and young would come up to me and say, you know what? You made me know that I can make records. You made me understand that I can make records. And even when the whole Roxanne phenomenon started, I had like 80, I want to say between 84 and 87 records made specifically about Roxanne Chante. And they made these records about me because they knew I would respond. And it was a way for them to get into the industry. And I didn't mind it. People be like, yo, you heard what they said about you on the record? And I was like, all right. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember doing a show with Karis one We have a phenomenal relationship now. And he was going out on stage. He was performing a record. And when it came to my part, he changed the words. And I walked right out there on stage and told him, yo, you cannot unwrite history. You sing that motherfucker like you made that motherfucker. Mm. And then I walked back on the side. And he looked at me That's and he said, Ba-da-da. I was like, okay. And then, you know, <laughs> let's, and go. let's do it, you know. And my thing was that I didn't want anyone to feel like they needed to change anything or I needed any special accommodations. When I go to see shows and I go and see, you know, my hip hop brothers perform, of course, I'm there behind stage because I'm probably going to perform while I'm going on stage. But then what I would do is go and sit in the crowd and really enjoy them, you know? You mentioned that you would never overhype stuff. You were never getting excited about things. You would downplay things a lot. Mm-hmm. It almost sounds like up until now, when you finally had a show, have a nice day, it's on serious, that you weren't smiling. Like you weren't in a place of peace and rest right. and joy. So even though there's that Queensbridge attitude and whatever's in the water that's extra special, it also speaks of like fatalism when you don't know whether anything good is ever going to happen whether you don't know what's around the corner you don't know if your person that you love the most is going to be there tomorrow so then you just try to always have this attitude of like whatever I'm not going to count on anyone I'm Mm -hmm. not going to look forward to anything do you think that that was you absolutely I think that's not just me but for a moment we went through the foster care system And one thing that the foster care system teaches you is that everything is temporary. Everything Mm -hmm. is temporary. Joy is temporary. Pain is temporary. People are temporary. Places are temporary. You know, and when that happens, you automatically feel like, okay, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. To hear people tell it, having such a great talent, but being so nonchalant about it is a blessing and a curse. I can remember the day when I really like lost faith in men, period. We were outside the building. My mom had dressed us up, but she knew that my dad wasn't going to show up. Like she already knew that because she knew him. So she already knew the whole storyline. And the thing about it is that me and my sisters share both maternal and paternal Mm -hmm. genes. So we have the same mother and father. So that meant the motherfucker did come back because me and my youngest sister's eight years apart. So we know he didn't visit it again. You know what I'm saying? So so that was like one of those things. He didn't come by to see you. Right. He didn't come by to see us. Right. You know, so with my mom letting us go out there, we sat outside and, you know, we dressed up. And, you know, when you're in the projects, people come by when they see you dressed up like, oh, where you going? You get ready to go out to projects. Where you going? And we like, yeah. So now they want to live vicariously through you and where you're going to go. Yeah. So they want to sit there with you until your pops is coming because a lot of us grew up without a father. Wow. Now, the ice cream truck just came, he still didn't show up. They didn't cut the Johnny pump off. 
Once the Johnny pump, which is like the fire hydrant, <laughs> yeah. once the Johnny pump get cut off, next thing that's getting ready to go is the street lights. It's getting ready to get dark. Right. Right. And my mom, which I understand now, but I didn't understand then, my mom felt the need to let us experience that rather than say, don't get dressed. He's not coming. Because we were so excited. For us, it was like Easter or the first day of school. We had our clothes laid out, you know, and she was walking through the house and I'm looking at her and I don't see the same helpfulness that she would give you on Easter to do your hair or the same helpfulness she would give you at other times. Instead, I see her watching with the anticipation of how is she going to handle the hurt that we're going to feel later on. So she was kept looking out the window, asking us if we was all right. And I kept saying, he not coming. Mm. But then I didn't know how to tell them. So much so that my youngest sister, Fastima, she didn't even want to go upstairs and go to the bathroom Mm. because she was afraid that if she went upstairs, she would miss him. Wow. So we had to let her like literally go to the bathroom by the benches. And you know, it's like back in the days, you just cover each other with your little dresses, that type of thing. And I remember as it started getting dark, a guy off the block, God bless the dead, Louie, came riding by yeah, on his bike. Rest in peace, Louie. Yeah, he came riding by on his bike. He was like, yo, your pops ain't coming. Mm-hmm. I should just go upstairs and change. You want to play Skelly? Like, like, <laughs> wow. like, yo, he ain't right. coming. Y'all been out here dressed up too long. Right. You know, and my mom came downstairs and she was like, see? And she was like, you see what you're feeling? Because I remember my mom always wanted us to express our feelings. So she could explain to us in her own Miss Peggy way of what we were going through. And she was like, you see what you're feeling now? That feeling in your throat, like you can't swallow, you can't cry, but you can't swallow either. She said, that's when somebody you love disappoints you Mm. and doesn't do what they say they're going to do. That's that feeling you're feeling right there. You don't want to put that feeling on nobody else. That's why I'm such a woman of my word. That's why if I make a promise to somebody, I make sure I do it. You know, I don't have nightmares because I don't sell dreams because I won't do that because I remember that feeling from that day. After that, you know, I just was like very nonchalant about everything. That's why when I see great fathers like Nas, that just made me like literally cry when I seen the commercial with him writing the letter to his daughter. Like, wow, is that what a father's supposed to be? Even my Juice Crew brothers. All of my Juice Crew brothers are phenomenal fathers. Kane, Shan, Cool V, Polo. They are phenomenal fathers. I mean, dressed their daughters, changed pampers, and I would sit there like, damn, is that how it's supposed to be? Yeah. Like, what would my life have been had he even showed up once? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I'm a breast cancer survivor. And even in his absence for my entire life, I felt like, okay, I'm good. I'm past it. But anyone who has went through cancer understands that they need to know both sides of your family's medical history. Right. Otherwise, you got to go through these tests mm-hmm. that add even more pain to your situation. And I was like, look at this. He's still causing pain now. Wow. In his absence. In his absence. And I'm a grown woman. And this is years later. It was a very difficult process in order for me to relax and say, okay, you know what? I'm good. You know, I can smile now. I'm okay now. You know, it took a long time for me to literally have a nice day for myself. 
I made sure everybody else had nice days, but it took a long time for me to have a nice day for myself. That's incredible. <laughs> you are a true warrior. Your man is super fanned out right now. Like, just <laughs> we just need oh, your reaction. Right. Like, you know does that is, bug you, know, you out? Look you at know it. this. The reaction is that of a big sister to her little brother. So, you know, like... No matter what, that connection of brother and sister mm-hmm. is not a Roxanne Shante and a Nas thing. You know, that's just a Shante from 12th Street. And that's a little Nasia from Vernon type bond. And that's yeah. what we always have when we see each other. So when he sees me as his big sister, that's the way siblings are. So I guess that's the reason why I'm not sitting here like, oh, look how Nas feels about me. I'm sitting here like, that's how he better feel about me. <laughs> Nothing changed. <laughs> that's how he better feel yeah, about me. That's right. All hell the queen. You know, and I sit back. I'm just so proud. Can you give me one Bismarcky story? Could be from the 80s, 90s, 2000s, whatever. You know, I spoke about this at business service and I didn't get a chance to speak in depth about it. One night we were going to a show. We had a show the next morning and we were getting ready to travel out. I had recently started living with my mom again and I snuck biz in my house. Now living in Queensbridge and living in a two-bedroom apartment and having <laughs> little sisters, it's hard to sneak somebody like Bismarcky in the house, especially when he <laughs> snores and he took his sneakers off, you know? And, and I tried to um, keep him hidden from my mom. My mom got up and she was like, what the hell is this? And you know, and Biz sat up. And when he sat up, you know, Biz had very unique features. And my mom was like, what? And I was like, no, 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 he's my beatbox. She said, well, I don't give a damn what he about to beat. Y'all beat it. Y'all get out of here. Y'all beat it out there. So we went outside. And the great thing about Queensbridge is that you could always travel from Queensbridge. The trains was right there. Yeah. So, you know, it's the middle of the night. It was about maybe 2 o'clock in the morning. And I had already been very street savvy. So it wasn't like that was my first time having to be out. And I said, come on, let's go to 42nd Street. So we went to the Deuce. To the Deuce. Because the movies are 24 hours. And you wow. can sleep in there. You know, and we can sleep in there and we can go to our show tomorrow because nobody wanted to let him stay at their house. So I was like, yo, we got a show tomorrow. We can sleep there. We're too young to go to hotels. I didn't know nothing about none of that. You know, I'm 14. Biz at the time was like, I'm 14, he's 20, but we might as well have been 13 and 14 at the time. And I was still a boss. So it was like, (laughs) it was like, okay, come on, let's do it. So we go to the movie theater. And when we get in there, it was Fist of Fury and Five Deadly Venoms. Five Deadly Venoms is my favorite movie. And in the beginning of Fist of Fury, there's a funeral scene where Bruce Lee comes in and he realizes that his teacher has passed away and he's wilding out at the funeral. So I'm leaning next to Biz and I got my feet up because the floor is sticky and I had on new sneakers. And, you know, and bad enough that we're sitting on these seats that was cushy, sticky. So, so I'm leaning on Biz like this and, you know, we had paid like $2.50 to be in a the movie theater. And he was like, yo, when I die, Shiny... I want you to do that. So, you know, when you're young, you make promises to each other. You agree. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, of course, you know, if you die, of course, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to dive all over your fucking casket. There ain't nobody going to do this. I'm going to do that. And he was like, no, I'm serious, Shani. When I do that, that's what I want you to do. That's what I want you to do. And I was like, all right. You know, because now we're not Roxy and Shante and Biz Marquee yet. We're just like Shante and Biz. Mm -hmm. We're not huge stars. Nobody knows that we're going to have careers. Nobody knows that. So we're sitting there. So I was like, yeah. I was like, all right. Then I said, then I want you to do this for me. And he was like, all right, let's switch. 
He said, Pinky Promise. I said, all right, Pinky Promise. So we did this in a sticky, nasty movie theater in Times Square at about three o'clock in the morning, waiting to go because we had a show to do the next day. And literally, I was living from show to show because the people that I was working with told me that show money had to be divided up between everybody. Even though I was the only one on stage and I was the only one rapping, I paid everybody the same amount of money. So if I had a show and it was for $1,500 and it was 10 of us, everybody got $150, including me. And I was the only one up there rapping. But that's what they told me. And so I believed them. And so, you know, you don't have a lot of money when you do that. When Biz passed away and I had to go to his service, I went and I got up there on stage and I had a sheet and I wrapped the sheet around me like a monk. You know, like how they used to have the Shaolin monks. And everybody was like, why are you doing that? You shouldn't do that because, you know, it's going to go viral. People are going to see it and da, da, da. And you 50 years old. Like, that's something you said you was going to do when you was a teenager. And I told them, my word is my word, even to my brothers in death. So I don't care what it looks like to anybody. I know Biz would have done it for me. So I got up there and I did it. And I slept so good that night. And if I had to tell any Biz Markie story, that's the one. And the one is, your word means everything, no matter when you have to do it. Beautiful. And that's Roxanne Shantae all wrapped up. Rest in peace, Biz Markie. Yes. So it, it's been a wonderful trip. It is. It's been a wonderful trip. It is. That happened. So now I have a nonprofit organization called Mind Over Matter. And I'm a CASA, which is a court-appointed special advocate for children who are in foster care and misplaced adoptions, along with doing my radio show and doing shows and everything else. I still show up and go to court for these kids who are in foster care and misplaced adoptions because I want to be that person that I wish I would have had when I was going through that. Hmm. So, you know, I have a location in Newark and I do all I can because I do it myself. So I do all of the funding, everything comes from me. And when I show up in court, I cannot put a price on a kid's face when they look over and they see me coming in because they know that finally it's someone who is going to speak up for them. And that's the reason why I was able to relate so much with DMX. Also Biz, you know, Biz went through foster care also. So, and there are a lot of others who have also went through that. So there's a certain little magic about suffering. I want children who are put in those positions to know that that's not the end of the road for you. And that, you know, that's only temporary and you can do great things because there are great people who have came from that circumstance and that background. And there's so many had went through foster care and it was part of their drive. So, you know, I just want kids to not lose that factor of it or get lost in, you know, their circumstance. Yeah. So that's what Roxanne Shantae does, you know, every day. A mission. A mission. I am on a mission. Yes, on a mission. It was like you was just born to be this warrior to see and experience what you've experienced and then to help people after you who don't have that help that to me is bigger than a rap career that's bigger than all the glamour and glitz and all of the stuff that you brought to the table that you showed us you're more than that and you're an example that we should all follow that we will continue to follow and I'm just happy to be here in your presence because I could sit here and talk to you for five days straight. <laughs> I, I think I we got to have that yeah, day one time. I just, just want to understand, Nas, you know her. Why, when you have these 
burning trivia questions that you just yeah. gotta ask about a song that came out in like 89 why don't you just text her and be like yo i, I so don't want to bother her what? i don't want to bother nobody with this Can you imagine nobody wants to hear these yo. little fan questions yo what was it like buying sneakers in albie square i was listen. only there like three times what was it? you remember qps look, look, and all look, of as that as your sister you know the line is open all the time anytime that you need me for anything you know That's i am there like you know that you know i'm only a phone call away I don't want this to end, but yes, Roxanne, Roxanne, yes. part two. Yeah, Mimi Valdez. Mimi yes. Valdez, yes. shout out to her. Roxanne, part two. Forrest Whitaker, Pharrell. We need the that. sequel has to happen. <laughs> this is incredible. You heard it here first. Yeah. Absolutely. It's yeah. going to be as long as Roots. <laughs> Everybody's going to watch it. On the next episode of The Bridge, 50 Years of Hip Hop, we talk to Yo-Yo. I didn't know anything about publishing, but I knew Q would come back with some ideas. I'd say, hey, listen, I want you to write everything. He would say, okay, well, write. Let me hear you write, you know. So I would go over to his mom's house, and I would sit on the floor, and one day he came back, he's like, I got it. I was like, what is it? And he was like, my name is Yo-Yo. I'm not a whole no, and that's all I needed. From Spotify, the executive producers are Gina Delvac and Jason Rodriguez, with additional production support from Leslie Guam and Andrea Salenzi. And special thanks to Courtney Holt, Jessica Dow, and everyone at Spotify who helped the bridge come to life. From Mass Appeal, the executive producers are myself, Nas, Peter Bittenbender, Jenya Meggs. Lead producer is Medina Pawana, and associate producer is Serge Jabrija. Our writer is Gabe Alvarez. Samara Langer and Cliff Cristofaro are our editors. Thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.